0: So this morning is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're not going to necessarily camp out in a passage this morning, but the goal is really to allow you guys to get to know us uh, as a church. Um, today is kind of an amazing day in the life of our church, actually. Uh, and so we, we're, we will refer to this as Vision Sunday. And it became apparent to us at the end of 2020 that at least half of our church is new in the last 10 months half. I mean, it's, a, it's astronomical, the amount of new people that are here. And there's still a lot of people online that some of you haven't even met that were around prior that haven't come back yet. And so as COVID dies down, we are kind of interested to see how our church kind of shakes up and who's here and, and who's not. But uh, what we realized is that, one, it's been an interesting year for our church. But two, a lot of you just do not know who we are. And so we thought, what a cool opportunity to kind of set the pulse for the next year, and give you a big uh, introduction introduction, to us. Uh, many churches will do these sort of vision Sundays as a way to communicate to their church where they've been and where they're going. But if you're anything like me, um, at, at points I hear this word vision, and all I, the only context I have for vision is sort of some large idea, some kind of far-fetched goal, And so, I want to talk a little bit this morning to start out with about what vision is. And so, I want you guys to hear me out for a second. And you don't really have a choice. So, you got to hear me out for a second. But when it comes to vision, um, if you go to a doctor, an eye doctor, to get a checkup, what is it that the eye doctor is looking for when you go to the eye doctor for a checkup? They want to see if your eyes are functioning the way that they were intended to function. You don't go to the eye doctor expecting them to tell you that your vision is superhuman and nobody else in the world has vision like you. You go there to see if there's anything wrong, to see how far your vision is off, and for the doctor to help give you clarity. And this word vision simply means clarity. And so you you go to the doctor to see if you have clarity. And if the doctor runs the proper tests and concludes that you do not have the vision that your eyes were intended to have, then the doctor says something like, well, we need to do something to give you the intended vision that your eyes were supposed to have. And so you have some sort of procedure or something to reinstate that vision for you. And I used to think to myself like, Oh man, like I need to show up on like a Vision Sunday and tell our church about this crazy vision that we have that you won't find anywhere else. And at the end of the day, like that's just not reality. The the church isn't about finding your niche. It's not about gaining followers. It's about helping people map out their journey to God and with others. And so that really becomes our purpose, is how do we map people's journey for them, point them to Jesus, but also give them relationships and community with one another to walk this relationship with Jesus out. And and there's nothing new about that model. Uh, That's been the church historically for 2,000 years, and the Bible itself makes this journey really clear for us. But the reality is that many churches have different styles, different preferences, different paths that you can get on this journey with um, to get you connected to God and connected with others. And oftentimes as churches, this is what really ends up differentiating us, is styles uh, and, and preferences. But a community of faith should be pulling in the same direction To accomplish the same goals. And so I want to make those very clear for us this morning so that those of you wondering, what do they think? You know, where are they headed? What's this church about? You have an understanding of that. Um, So let's pray. And then I'm going to dig right in. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your mercies are new every day. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to move even in this time as we talk information and we talk about where this church is headed. We know that you are the glue that holds this whole thing together. And in the midst of a season in our world, God, where it seems as though there's a thousand things moving to pull the church apart, we pray, Jesus, that you would be firm and steady and that we would latch onto you, God, that we would found our foundations, our roots deep in you, Jesus, and that you would bind this to church together. And so we ask God for you to give us clarity this morning. We want your vision. We don't want Chris's. We don't want Anthem Coeur d'Alene's. We want Jesus's vision for his church this morning. And so we devote this time to you and we pray that you'd bless it, Lord, and use it in your name. Amen. So. When we planted church, uh, Anthem Church, uh, the, at least the first Anthem, and I say that because there's been several iterations of this church along the way, but we planted it in 2010 with a leadership team of 15 people that would meet on Sunday mornings. Our services were on Sunday nights. Our leadership team would meet every Sunday morning for breakfast, and we'd pray together, we'd plan, we'd prepare for the church that we were planting. And we were clueless as to what we were doing, but there were a handful of things that were important to us. We we still might be clueless, but a couple things we've somewhat figured out along the way. Um, but the things that were important to us back then: one, that our hearts ached for those who did not know Jesus. Eleven years ago, like that was our heart. Two, that we wanted people, we wanted to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Three, we prayed our hearts out for the city and for those that were in our church. Four, we were willing to risk everything to start this church that would have significant impact on people's lives in our city. Um, Five, we were convinced from day one that community, or the Greek word for that, koinonia, uh, or fellowship, was the soil that God would use to actually disciple his followers or his people that were seeking after him. And so uh, it was super simple, and we pushed hard for community from day one in, in this church. If you were a part of Anthem 11 years ago, you were probably connected to a community group, you were attending on Sunday mornings, you were serving in some capacity, and when people would say things like, what does it mean to be a member here? We'd say, we don't have membership, but... People who are bought in here, people who are here on Sundays, people who are serving in some capacity, people who are actually meeting in homes with smaller groups of people and connected relationally to our church, that's what it went, that's how it went. And so now jump ahead from that point to a church merger in 2012, starting a second campus for our church that was in Hayden in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And that was kind of part of version 2.0 of Anthem. And then turning these two campuses into two particularized churches in 2019, where our Hayden Church became its own, Coeur became its own, we have our own elders and leadership and budgets, and we're still sisters and sort of connected at the hip, but we function autonomously. Uh, and now we find ourselves sort of in version three of that, or we did in 2019. And now I feel like we're on version four, and I'm going to call this season post-COVID anthem, uh, because... It feel the landscape's changed uh, whether you like it or not like it's a different church half the people here are new here within the last 10 months and, and the reality is that with this rapid influx of new people and the amount of pivoting that we've had to do in the last year just through all the covid stuff we've sort of become a new church and covid has sort of made me feel like we're starting over again. I mean, it feels like the church planting instinct all over again. And that's been both really awesome and, on the same token, really hard. But I want to make sure that as church leadership, we do a really good job of constantly assessing where our church is at and what our church needs, Not just continuing on as business as usual and doing the same things that we always used to do, but identifying what does our church need? Where are the holes? How do we fill those gaps? And who has God brought to the table that wants to play a role in filling those gaps? And so this past year has probably made us assess why we do what we do and the way we do it more than any other year in the prior 11 years, which again has been very hard and extremely good. But last February, we had this family meeting, and we sort of rolled out this new mission statement, these three discipleship environments that we wanted to focus some time and attention on, that we were going to expand on. And then come March, COVID hit. And so we were forced to sort of rethink everything amidst COVID. But then coming out of 2020, I think it was apparent that our heart and our call hasn't changed, but there are definitely aspects of what we do and why we do it that I hope have matured along the way. I haven't matured, but the church has, right? And I personally have always been fearful of adding a ton of programs and things to our church menu of sorts. Like I've always had this vision of us keeping things super simple, and for the most part, we've been able to do that, but going into 2020, as we were rewriting our mission statement and our vision, I think we had seen some major holes in the way that we were doing things, and it felt like the Lord was asking us to really press in and begin to identify those weak areas, and so we talked about some of those holes last February at our family meeting, but mainly um, we, had, we had hoped that discipleship would happen prior to this. We'd, it was always our hope that discipleship would happen in the context of community groups. Man, if you want to be discipled and learn the ways of Jesus, get connected to a community group. If you want to study the Bible, learn to study the Bible, get connected to a community group. And I think years later, what we're realizing is that our community groups as they functioned are a part of discipleship, but it's not a holistic picture of discipleship. And I think that there were some aspects of that that we were missing. And so this morning, um, some of this could be a reminder for some of you. Uh, It may be an introduction Uh, for some of you from scratch that know nothing about us but as we look to vision as clarity the purpose of this morning is to help the gathered people here this morning understand what's important to Anthem Coeur d'Alene and where we see God taking us in this next year. Um, If you read in Amos chapter 3 Uh, verse 3 it says this it says how can two people walk together unless they're in agreement and so how can we function as a community of faith together unless we're in agreement with what it means to be part of the connected community of faith that we're part of if you're going to walk together then what is it that binds us together on this journey what are those shared values and in years past, I've come before the church with like a word for the year, or something like some download the Lord gave me, this is our word. And coming out of 2020, I was really struggling. Like I just did not know where the Lord was, was leading me as far as that word went. And in December, um, I'd kind of been waiting for the Lord to give me that. Didn't receive, felt, I, I didn't feel as though I had received anything. And one day I was reading in Luke chapter 12, This interesting passage that just caught my attention. And Jesus is at this point in this passage where he's been instructing his disciples as to what it means to follow after Jesus, to not be anxious, to fear not, and to leave everything behind, to devote their lives to following Jesus. And then Jesus inserts this section titled, Being Ready is what it's titled in most of your manuscripts that you read. But in verse 35, there, Luke 12, verse 35, it says this. Follow along with me. It says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service, have them recline at a table, and he will come and he will serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? And then verse 43 says, wraps up with this, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And as I read this, it pricked my heart, honestly, because This is what I realized, that the church Jesus has called us to build with him is actually a church that will be ready and prepared on the day that Jesus returns. And the church that's prepared is a church that's faithful meaning a, a church that regardless of what they're experiencing on this earth, the church remains. They, they keep their lamps burning. They're waiting for their master. They're awake. They're ready. Ultimately, they are faithful. And so this word faithfulness has been ringing in my ears for a month. And as I prepared for today, here's what I realized about faithfulness. There's two aspects to faithfulness in Scripture. The first is this, God's faithfulness to us, amen, This is a good place to start, which never lacks. His faithfulness to us never wanes. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul says that even, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Amen? Even in my worst, right, when I am faithless, God still remains faithful. There's something really, really good about that news. The, the second aspect of, of faithfulness, though, is often tied to obedience, and it's tied to faithfulness, our faithfulness to God himself, which is also often lacking um, but still is our goal that, that we remain faithful, full of faith, meaning we are a people who never lose hope, that we never stop believing, that we continue to persevere, even in the seasons when we struggle to understand what in the world God is doing, like right now. Which is which was why this word rings so loud and clear to me coming out of a year where I've seen more people turn their backs on Jesus and leave the church and find every excuse they can to lose faith, but to be faithful literally means to be loyal, it means to remain, it means that even when it's hard, you will continue on. And so it seems as though this is the season that we need to fight to remain more than we ever have before because so many things in this world are pulling on us to uproot us and cause you to lose faith. But I'm thankful that Jesus' faithfulness is not tethered to mine, amen? <laughs> Because mine goes like this: Jesus is this constant; it never stops. Like He's always faithful. And the interesting thing about faithfulness is that it goes hand in hand with vision. Because long-term faithfulness isn't just about setting a lofty goal and hoping that you'll reach it, trusting that you will remain faithful. But long-term or long-term faithfulness is a result of short-term obedience. And so, long term, big picture vision is only executed when we follow through in the small daily details. For instance, many people would love to have a solid and grounded marriage. They may have a clear picture for where they want their marriage to be and what they've seen in others, what they want their relationships to look like, and they begin to set these long term goals for their marriage. But the only way that those goals will be met is if you get up tomorrow and you take the first step, right? Day after day, you get up and go, I'm going to take the next right step today. And tomorrow, I'm going to take the next right step tomorrow. And our relationship with Jesus is similar because Jesus is looking for those that will get up tomorrow and take the next right step. Those that will be prepared and ready, those who will keep their lamps burning, take the next right step, which for some of you in this room this morning means choosing to follow Jesus for the first time today. That's the next right step you have to make in your life. For some of you, it means remaining and continuing to keep that flame lit every day because there's so many things pulling at you, causing you to feel as though you're losing hope And Jesus wants to step in, he wants you to remain, he wants to strengthen you in the season, but many people choose to not follow Jesus because it seems too hard. But Jesus isn't looking for the perfect who have it all figured out. He's looking for those that will take the next right step. And then take another small step the day after that, and the result of a series of small steps in the right direction in your life actually produce faithfulness. When you get to the end, it results in a life that was prepared, a life that was awake, a life that was ready, and this is the church that Jesus is coming back for. So I, I've watched way too many people flame out over the years, and I've watched way too many people turn their backs on Jesus and place him on the back burner in this last year, but my prayer is that we remain faithful and that as a church, as, as leadership in our church, we would see the holes and the areas that were weak and we begin to do what we can to strengthen the weak areas and fill the gaps where we see the holes. Faithfulness also in Scripture is often tied to stewardship. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And that whoever is faithful with very little will be faithful with much. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So part of the church's role is to come alongside and to help one another steward this life in a way that honors Jesus and puts him first, and then begins to put others before ourselves to be faithful to steward our life or spend your life in the way that the Holy Spirit would lead you. And this is where our role as leadership in a church exists. I think for so long, people have depended on a pastor or a leader in a church to make them live their life for Jesus. This meant always tracking people down, constantly holding them accountable. At times, it's as though both pastors and those in the church have assumed that pastor, a pastor's role is to keep people on the straight and narrow, which puts a ton of responsibility on a person. And doesn't put much of the onus for discipleship back on the person's life who's living it. And what I'm beginning to understand is that the best role we can play as leaders in a church is sort of like that of a personal trainer. That that we can put a plan together. We can provide environments for you to engage one another and to not get engaged to one another, but engage one another. Um, Hopefully we don't provide those other environments. But um, we can provide environments for you to engage each other. And to engage Jesus, to learn about God's word, to spend time praying. But at the end of the day, that becomes the most we can do on a leadership level. Because faithfulness requires that a person take the steps necessary to work out the weak muscles in their body, to mature themselves, and to stay the course in walking with Jesus. And that's something that a pastor cannot do for you. He just can't. So I want to paint that picture this morning. When we look at the church, we know that the church is people. It's not a building. It's a collective of people who have decided in their life to make Jesus ultimate. It's a collective of people who will encourage and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We, We desperately need one another on this journey. We cannot do this alone. We can't live out one another's faith for each other. And I've seen a lot in marriages over the past where you have a spouse that's sort of fighting to try to keep another one doing religious things. Like, I want my husband to love Jesus, and so I'm gonna make him go to church. I'm gonna make him do these things, make him read the Bible, or vice versa. And at the end of the day, what does it produce? It produces somebody who does religious things void of a heart that actually loves Jesus. I don't wanna build that church. I don't want to have anything to do with that church. Because the church that Jesus is coming back for, the bridegroom is coming back for, is a church whose flame is lit. A church that is awake, a church that is ready, which to me signifies a heart issue, not a bunch of actions in your life that you're doing right. Doing all the religious things, but being void of a heart after Jesus. And so I want to do a couple things this morning. One, I want to walk you through our mission statement as a church. Two, I want to walk you through what we'll call our discipleship environments. But I want you guys to know going into this this morning that I really don't assume that we've figured this out. <laughs> like we don't have the corner market on this. We, Anthem has not created a program and a process that pumps out disciples. So if you start rooted on January 12th by April 30th, you will be a full-fledged disciple and you're good and you've graduated and you move on. Like we have not figured that out. Um, nor do I think we want to figure that out. But we're a church that's in process constantly, learning what it means to follow Jesus and learning how to spur our church on in their relationships with Christ. And so please do not take what I'm presenting this morning as the way. This is just how we feel as leadership in the church in this season that God is calling us to build, be a part of, co-partner, like co-laborers with him in building his church in Coeur d'Alene And our hearts are still to keep this thing very simple. I don't want to convolute it and make it messy. So our mission statement, some of you, you've seen it on our website. Um, Some of you, you've been around a long time, you have no idea what it is, and that's okay. It's very easy. Following Jesus, seeking the good of the city, and living for the glory of God. And so this is our mission. At the end of the day, I want you to hear this. We do not believe that the primary mission of God's people is to lead others to Jesus. That's secondary to the primary mission. The primary mission is that third line, living for the glory of God. First and foremost, our mission is to live a life that honors and worships God. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like it. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. This was God's desire from day one when he created mankind, that mankind would live life to glorify God. That's your life purpose. And so the, the world will try hard to convince you that your purpose is wrapped up in what you do on this earth, but your purpose is actually found in whose you are, amen? Your purpose is in whose you are. So may your lives honor the Lord God and put him first. And I know that that's the last line in the statement, but I want to start there this morning because the other ones are sort of null and void if first and foremost, you don't exist to just honor God, to worship and glorify him with your life. The first statement though says, following Jesus. And what I want you guys to know about us is that we are a church that deeply values discipleship if we aren't teaching people to follow the ways of Jesus and to receive the love and the grace that only Jesus can offer us, then we have missed the mark as a church. So following Jesus is the nuts and bolts of reading, knowing his teachings, doing what he says. Following Jesus starts with us recognizing why it's Jesus we follow, because we believe that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, and Christ alone. So we believe Jesus was more than a good teacher. We believe that Jesus was more than a good instructor, that he actually was God in the flesh, that his life not only provided salvation through his death and resurrection, but that his life actually gave us a blueprint to follow. And so we follow him not because he taught well, but because he was God in the flesh. And he lived that life to show us how to live a spirit led, grace filled, love trenched life, and to be an individual who is in desperate pursuit of Jesus. The second statement, or the, the third, the second statement is seeking the good of the city. And this one's one of the more fun for me. In Jeremiah chapter 29, if you've read through the book of Jeremiah, there's this prophetic word that the Lord gives Jeremiah to share with God's people who were still kind of the remnant that were still left after Babylon ransacks the people and takes them into exile. And just so you understand this context, it's written by this prophet. From the Lord to God's people that have just been through hell as their city, their, their temple have been destroyed. They've been taken to Babylon, this foreign land. And they find themselves trying to get by in a land that they don't know around people who hated them. So they're, they're aliens, they're exiles in this foreign land. And yet God tells them to do some really interesting things while they're exiled as foreigners in this exiled land in Babylon. God tells them to plant down in this foreign land. He tells them to build houses, to plant crops, to get married, to have kids, basically enjoy life, live life to the fullest, even though you're trapped in a land that is not your home. And I love this this passage because that's us today as followers of Jesus. We, we live in a foreign land amongst people that won't always like, for, like us, amongst people that will not always like what we stand for. However, God has called us to plant down. God has called us to invest, enjoy this life that God so graciously has granted us for the time being, because this is not your eternal home. But plant down. Build homes. Some of you are. There's a lot of land here, right? Um... But Jeremiah 29, 7, he goes on to say this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Isn't that weird? And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God basically tells them to seek the good of the city because the better the city does, the better it is for them. And the Lord tells them to pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. And so that's a big piece of the vision here at Anthem Coeur d'Alene how do we enhance? How do we invest? How do we pray for? How do we love the city that God has planted us in for the time, that we get to plant, the, the time that we get to spend in it? Instead of us being a people that are constantly venting frustrations about how it's changing or we want to protect it from going to hell in a handbasket, I'll challenge you with this. We will reap the rewards of what we sow in this city. So if we care about the lost, and we care about being light in the dark, then it is good for us as a church, not our organized Anthem Coeur church, but the collective church in Kootenai County, it's good for us to figure out how God has called us to be salt in the city, to bring flavor to enhance this place, because if this place does better, we do better. So here's these three discipleship environments that I kinda wanna unpack for you guys this morning. And again, I realize that these aren't the one-stop shop for discipleship, but these are where we're going to put our focus of the church. If you wanna know what it means to be part of this, how do we get connected? What is the expectation of somebody who's planted here that considers this their home? What would we hope um, is the best for their life and their connection here to the church? And as cheesy as this sounds, I want you to think of these three words as if you're making a snowball. So the three words are gather, form, and engage. When you go to make a snowball, what's the first thing you do? Come on guys, it's really easy. First you have to have snow, which I couldn't even make one today because it's summertime. And so at first you gotta like gather snow and then you take the snow and you begin to pack it and you form it and you get it ready. And then after that thing's ready, what do you do? You look for the purpose, like who's the person I'm gonna nail at this baby? Where's the target? Have I packed it well enough that I can just nail that thing? And then you're gonna throw it at the target. So you gather, you form it intentionally, and then you engage it in its intended purpose. And so like I said earlier, I think we've noticed in the last 11 years where the holes are in our process in the past, and we've tried hard to identify ways that we can strengthen the weak muscles that we each have like I have them just like you and we also recognize that there's a ton of overlap in these three areas and that that's actually really good the discipleship is messy that discipleship was never meant to be a program and that we aren't trying to create three separate silos of gather form and engage to focus on but that these have a ton of overlap and somehow this overlap of of each of them actually accomplishes discipleship. The discipleship is kind of made up in the messiness of it all. And so we want to move past community groups being our only focus. That is a piece of it. I mean, if you look at, I don't know what, what graph's up there. Oh yeah. If you look at that graph, you can see the gather portion of it for us is part of it. But if all you do is gather, you miss out on the engagement portion, which is like, what's God going to use with what he's put in you? How are you going to enhance and be a blessing to the world? How are we going to reach the lost? And then you miss out on the formative side, which is like, do you know how to read your Bible? Do you spend time with Jesus? Is prayer a part of our spiritual disciplines, a part of your life, the formative side of things. So we really want to see a church that's um, for lack of a better way to put it, engaged in all three of these sort of spheres, these different environments. And so in the years past, we've always said, go to a community group, get involved in a community group. And to be radically honest, we've just realized over time that we can't count on community groups being your one-stop shop for everything. Like, it just it hasn't worked out as well as we had intended for it to. But the second part, uh, or sorry, the, the gathering portion uh, the first part. In Hebrews 10, 10 25, it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's something really special about the church gathered, you guys. For those of you that have moved here from a state in the last six months where you could not gather with people on a Sunday morning, I have not experienced more people weeping on a Sunday morning than I have in the last six to ten months as they come in here and they're like this is so cool like we get to worship and be with other believers and i'm starting to, like for me it was reinvigorating for my own heart because i realized what things i start to take for granted i get to do this every week it's just part of what i do it's part of the rhythm and people are like no there's something powerful about the church coming together and yet we live in a world that is forsaking the gathering of the people. And people are starting to realize the importance in gathering, maybe more now than ever before, that there's no such thing as the ungathered church. Do you get that? It it does not exist, the ungathered church. Like the church intrinsically has to gather in some form or fashion. Where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am in in their midst, that it takes two or more. So gathering is actually important. And we do this in many ways in our church. We would look at community groups as a function of gathering, that we would say our Sunday services are partially gathering, fellowship, coming together as the church, youth, our young adult stuff, men's, women's groups, our outdoor stuff, various events we do. Like the purpose of these is get the church together, man. You guys need to know who each other are because when you're together and you know who you're locked arms with, you are all the stronger in the city that God has placed us in. But that's not the end all be all. And so the second part of this is the form portion. And if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we see that we have a role to intentionally equip people. He says this, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and then read this, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I mean, you see that rampant today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The purpose of being part of the church is that the church is equipped for the work. And this might be the area that we feel like we've struggled in the most as a church. As we've assumed formation is just naturally happening in relationship and communities. And sometimes that was the case. But part of formation is biblical instruction. It's actually learning to read the Bible. It's prayer. It's spiritual disciplines. It's being equipped to walk your faith out. And so this is an area that we've begin putting some time and some attention into. And so one of the, one of the areas, one of the ways that we've begun to move in this direction in the last year was by starting Rooted. So those of you who went through Rooted, you got a little glimpse of that. We do not think that Rooted is the end all be all to discipleship. What we do think is it's a great head start. It actually gets people in a rhythm of meeting together, reading their Bible on a regular basis, journaling, fleshing what they're reading out with one another, praying for one another, learning some spiritual disciplines. I, I mean, it was just very fruitful for us to go through that process and it's getting ready to start up again this week. So that was a portion of it. But then the other side of it is, we have lots of people that come to us and go, I don't know how to read my Bible. Like, where do I start? People that have no clue people that are brand new believers that are going, where do, I get, where do I get going on this? Or maybe people that have been believers forever that have just never dove into the word of God. And so we kept thinking, like as a church, what are we doing to invest in that area? And so um, by God's grace, like he brought some people to our church over the last year uh, that really had a passion for this and wanted to help us put something together. And so we've put together these four eight-week sessions in the next year. And these four eight-week sessions will sort of be like this. The first eight weeks, you'll learn how to read your Bible. You'll learn basic setups of like how scripture was put together, where to start, how to read it. The second eight weeks will be Old Testament survey, like how do you understand the Old Testament? What is the thread that's woven throughout all of Scripture? Give me some understanding for that. The third eight weeks is a New Testament survey, like learn about the life of Christ and the New Testament, the infancy of the church. And then the fourth eight weeks, which will start in fall, is doctrines and Christian beliefs. Like what are the historical beliefs of Christians? The doctrinal stances of believers and and particularly of our church. And so we think this will be a really good first step for some of you that are just curious about these areas. You don't even have to be a Christian, but if you're just curious about the Bible and you're curious about Jesus, jump in. You can be a part of this. We may have people, the way we're looking at it is, we may have people that go, you know what? Uh, relationship isn't like the primary need in my life right now, I do want to learn more about scripture. We may have people that are like, I'm not thinking I need to learn more about scripture. I just moved this area and I don't know anybody here. Like I desperately need relationships with people. And so a community group and rooted may be a really good start to connect you with some Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians. On the same token, we have people in this room that have enough capacity in their life that they may be like, I'm gonna do both. But the third part of this for us is this engagement portion. Like how do we take what we know and believe and begin to actually serve others and love our city? And this is another area that we're gonna put a lot more emphasis on in the coming year. Currently, this would encompass like our global missions. For those of you that are new to us, we have missionaries that were sent from us that were here at this church with us that are in Turkey Uh, missionaries that are in uh, Kenya missionaries in Indonesia and a missionary in Italy and then we have um, a missionary that we've supported for 20 some years who has planted 35 churches around Kolkata in India and so those are the five mission points that globally we send a lot of funds to and if any of you are looking to go visit people on the mission field we've got some great people that we can connect you with We also have some local organizations that our church partners with. Um, Like, for instance, Love, Inc., Open Arms, Juvenile Justice Outreach, Village of Hope. When I was first had come to know Jesus, one of the first passages that kind of stuck out to me was in 1 Peter 4.10, and it says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I read that verse, and I thought, like, what do I have? Like, what are the gifts that God's given me? And I think part of this process of gathering together and form, like formation in our lives is the discovery process of how has God wired me and what is my role? Like, what has he called me to on this earth? And some of you are so caught up in your careers that you think the career is your purpose. I'm telling you, God has built you for more than a career. He's called you for more than that. Um, Just some Right, and then, sorry, and then in Matthew 28, you guys, most of you probably know this verse, but it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We also have this responsibility, this call as believers, to go share with the lost. And um, as we were closing out this last year, man, I, I've i been so overwhelmed in this last year by God's grace on this church because... Um, there should have been multiple reasons that everything should have just crumbled. (laughs) But it's been the tight-knit group of people and watching people bind together in a really hard season that's been really awesome. It's been people on their knees praying and really seeking Jesus through the season that has really provided an awesome foundation for our church. And honestly, the generosity of our church has been unbelievable in the last year. Like, we were just blown away. And so at the end of last year, like, our giving was so far up that we took $20,000 and we sent it to all those local nonprofit organizations. We divided it up and sent them each two to $3,000 a piece just because like God blessed us. And then we sent $50,000 to our global missionaries. And so it really is our heart that um, 10% of everything that comes in here every year goes outside of these walls. And I pray that we continue to push the bounds of that in years to come because as he's been generous to us, We want to be generous with others, and that's been really amazing to watch. But I'll I'll sort of end with this, and then we'll spend some time praying. But um, one of the other things that's been just really on our hearts in this last year is prayer and some more intentional times of prayer, getting people together, praying for and with one another, and I have no idea what God's doing on the earth right now. But I have to believe we're one day closer to his return. (laughs) And who knows when he's coming back, but he's coming back for that bride, the one whose flame is still burning, who's awake and who's ready. And we feel a responsibility as a church to prepare his bride for his coming. And part of that devotion piece is getting to know Jesus, praying, spending time with him, prayer not being something that we just do because it's a checkbox on the list, but we pray because we just want to love God. We want to give him our all. We want to get to know him and spend time with him. We want to devote our lives to him, and I have to think right now that God is up to something in our city. Like, I do not get it, but there's people moving from all over who are far more qualified than I. I mean, there's like worship pastors and there's theologians and professors and pastors and like there's amazing like people that have served in way higher capacities in ministry than I ever have that God is drawing to this area that are just moving here and the the resounding word that I'm getting from everybody as they're coming here is they're saying like uh I say where did you come from and then they for at first they just kinda go, uh because I know it starts with a C and it's not Colorado. <laughs> although Colorado is one of them. But we all came from there. So don't fear, you know, we're all Californian at heart. And so, but it was funny, after the last service, I said that. And then this guy came up to me and he's like, we're the anomaly. And I'm like, what's that mean? He's like, we moved here from Indiana. I'm like, oh, you are, that's far. You're the first. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> um, but I realized that there's a move of God that's going on that I can't pinpoint. But everybody keeps saying, we don't know why the Lord moved us here, but there's something going on. It was a dream. It was a vision. It was God opening up all these doors to get him here. And I'm just sitting back looking at it going like, God, what in the world are you doing on this earth? In court in 2021. God, how do we be faithful to, to the, the vision? How do we be faithful um, to your people? Like to raise them up, to equip them. How do we make the best time we can out of what we've been given with the people we have for such a time as this because I think God is raising people up in this city right now and there's a training season coming and there's something that God's going to do across the world through this and I have no idea what that'll look like but it's really special and I feel just honored honestly when people are saying I'm moving here and the Lord moved them here I'm like amen like get over here like God's building a team. There's an army that he's building and there's something that's going on and I don't want to miss out on it. But the church who experiences just the real, like a real devotion and a passion for Jesus is the church that starts out on their faces. And there's something about a praying church that goes to him first. Beyond programs and agendas and processes we put together, like We need to just seek Jesus, church. Would you guys stand with me? As I look back on the last 10 years, um, though I hope that we've matured a bit and we've been through a lot as we've waded through basically four iterations of our church and a pandemic, like I said before, the simplicity of our hearts hasn't changed. We're a church whose hearts ache for those that don't know Jesus. We're a church that wants to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus. We're a church that values prayer. We're a church that wants to invest in and love our city. We're a church that I hope is willing to risk it all to fan the flame of this movement of love-drenched, grace-filled, spirit-empowered people in Coeur d'Alene. And we're a church that values and loves one another deeply. This is our anthem, amen? Prior to COVID, I used to end services a lot and say, grab the hand of the person next to you or get in a headlock or a hug and let's pray for one another. Some of you aren't comfortable with that. That's totally fine. Um, If you want to, you can grab hands. If you want to, just grab hands with your family unit or you can sit solo, it doesn't matter. But we're gonna end this time in a time of prayer. And it is 1207 now. I'm gonna give you three minutes as the Lord leads. If you feel like he's put something on your heart to pray, stage is yours. Just blurt it out, yell it out, pray. But we're gonna start this year off as a church that first and foremost is devoted to Jesus and isn't afraid to seek him and to pray our hearts out for him. And so this morning, let's do it right. And after a few minutes are up, I'll close us out and then we'll sing some songs to the Lord and make much of his name, so let's pray if you feel led, go for it